on. That was awesome. Operation Blessing 2013. It was just got to be one of the highlights of the year last week. Uh, 276. We had last year was our record 273. I was hoping for 300, but we did beat last year just by a little bit. But we still beat it. We, we gave away 276 food boxes last Sunday. Come on, can you give God a big hand? And we did that as a church family. And I'm so honored that uh, you opened your hearts during this time, during this holiday season, and you were a blessing to so many families. And it's just, it was a great, great day. Uh, our attendance, anybody want to know how many people we had? I'll tell you, whether you want to know or not. <laughs> we had 949 people in the three services on this campus. Come on. You got a big hand. Yeah, it was just an awesome day. And the altar's full. First service alone, we had over 40 people raise their hand to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand. We serve a good, good God. Amen. I love you. What a great, great day. We had a great first service. Preacher went a little long first service, so we're going to try to shorten it up for you in this service here, kind of help you out a little bit. But it's a great time of year. It is the most wonderful time of year. I love this time of year. Uh, the Christmas season for me just brings back many, many, many memories many childhood memories. You know, it's funny. I, I can remember my, my childhood Christmas seasons, but I have a hard time remembering what we did last year. I don't know about you, but that's just kind of a weird thing in my life anyway. But uh, what, what about you? What about Christmas memories in your life? Special to you? Some people, maybe Christmas is a difficult time, a challenging time. <clears throat> one of my uh, most memorable moments in, uh, at Christmas when I was about 10 years of age, my mother made me play the piano. For six years, I had to take piano lessons. I, I, and I, you know, I'm a typical boy. I, I love sports, but my mom made me sit there. She had a little timer on the piano, and she made me sit there. And I would play as fast as I could play just to get through. And then the timer it just wouldn't move. You know, whenever you're a kid, you need 20 minutes or half an hour to go. It just takes. It seems like it takes eternity. You know, but I did learn how to play the piano as a child, and uh, I was the oldest of five children. I have two sisters that are directly uh, uh, just a couple of years younger than me, and then I have two other sisters that are way younger than me. And uh, But my two older sisters, they always want me to make sure that you know that they're still younger than me because uh, my sisters listen to me on podcasts and some of them watch online, and so they want me to make sure that it's clear that they are still younger than me. My, my two older sisters who were younger than me, uh, one Christmas I got this idea that we were going to put on a special Christmas production for my parents. And uh, this hymn book has uh, been in my family, I don't know how long, but, but a long time. It actually sits in my home on our piano today, and uh, the piano that my son plays. And uh, we did force him to play the piano, but today he plays because he wants to play. He's part of the worship team. He played here in this uh, the first and second service. His name is Keenan, and he's a very good piano player, very, very, very good keyboard player. But this, this hymn book sits on uh, our piano at home, and it's a reminder to me of a Christmas that took place maybe 40 years ago. I was 10 years of age, and I learned how to play you know, some of the Christmas carols. And so I had this idea that I would take uh, my two younger sisters, and we would put on a Christmas production for my mom and dad. So uh, back in the day, my allowance, I know you can't believe this, but my allowance was 10 cents a week. That's what I got. I got a great, I remember I was just praying and waiting for the day that I got, I got the graduation to 25 cents a week. You know what I mean? But 10 cents a week was my allowance. So we each got 10 cents, and we saved up our little dimes, and there was a little store, some kind of a convenient, not a convenience store, but like a handy store not too far from our house. And we'd walk up there and we bought materials. And we bought candles and I bought this, some kind of white, like this white uh, cloth material and tried to figure out how to cut holes in it so we could dress up as angels. And 
on this Christmas morning, I decided that you know, we were going to sing, and my sisters made breakfast, and we were going to sing Christmas songs to wake my parents up. And uh, the only song I remember us singing is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I remember that. That was the theme song because we were dressed up like little angels. And uh, it was probably the only time that we were ever little angels, but we did dress up like little angels. <clears throat> it was a memory. It was a great memory. I still have that memory etched into my mind. I'll never forget that. Christmas brings back all kinds of memories, all kinds of thoughts about our past. And, and sometimes when we look at our past, sometimes we remember it with fondness, greater fondness probably that was really taking place. It was actually when I was 10 years of age, my parents' marriage was dissolving and there was lots of pain that was taking place in my home. Lots of pain. This morning, I'm going to speak to a, a message entitled, Keep Hope Alive. Keeping in theme with Advent. Keeping in the theme of Advent. I want to speak to you on Keep Hope Alive. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to two passages, and we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 1. So if everyone could just stand with me. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read verses in 20 through 23. And then we're going to look at Luke's Gospel chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. But Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read... These, this is the story, this is the story, the biblical account of Jesus' coming into the world. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse number 18. I'll begin with verse number 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want you to turn over to Luke's account. Luke's account, just a couple of pages over, Luke chapter 1. We're going to read Luke's account of, of the angel coming to Mary. Matthew's account is of the angel coming to Joseph. We're going to read now of, of Mary's story, beginning with verse number 26. And the Bible says, In the six months of, a, of a Liv, Elizabeth's pregnant, who was the cousin of Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to, a, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in heaven's design before the foundation of the world, your plan was to send your son Jesus, I thank you that it was in your mind and your design and your heart to come into this earth. But although you were born as a baby, you grew to become a man and you lived in favor with God and man and you grew in wisdom and knowledge. 
Lord, as you walked on this earth, you only did good. And you fulfilled the mission for which you were called. That mission to bring hope, to bring life, to bring a message of reconciliation between God and man. Jesus, you gave your life. We thank you for that. We thank you it wasn't just that you walked on this earth, but you gave your life for us. And Lord, the grave couldn't hold you down. And on the third day, you rose again. And for that, we say thanks. But Jesus, you still have a mission. And that mission was, Lord, for you to ascend into heaven. And there in heaven, you sit at the Father's right hand and you make intercession and you pray for us today. And we thank you for that. Jesus, you promised that you wouldn't leave us alone and you've given us your spirit. And we sense your spirit here today, the reality of your presence and our worship and our singing and our giving. Now, Holy Spirit, over these next few moments, I pray that the heart of every person in this room would be open to hear. God, you will use me to speak, to be your messenger to the people in this room who need hope today. I ask this in your wonderful and mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. A dark day, a dark day, a dark year, a dark century, dark hundreds of centuries, hundreds of centuries. The generation that Jesus was born into was a dark time in the history of the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they were really a people without hope. They had been scattered. They had been taken captive. They had brutalized. They had been tortured. They had been taken advantage of. They were the scourge of the earth. The prophet Isaiah had spoken about things that were going to happen in their future. But there was no hope of their future. There was no hope. I want to speak to us this morning on this concept of hope and keeping hope alive. But I want to define hope from a biblical perspective. Because our world hopes. Our world has lots of hopes. But the world's hope has no guarantee that the future is going to be preferred. This last week, week and a half ago, our Secretary of State went to the Middle East and they met with the leaders of Iran and they brokered a, a peace deal, a supposed peace deal between Israel and the foreign powers around the world trying to, trying to bring some kind of peace. There's hope that it's going to work out, but there's no guarantee that either side is going to keep their commitment. It's the generation that we live in. You know, a young girl might hope that the young boy across the street is going to ask her on a date. She might have a hope, but she doesn't have a guarantee that it's going to take place. I mean, we all have hopes which really are just wistful thinking, but they have no basis in fact, no basis in a reality that it ever might come true. See, the Bible actually has a, a different concept. There's, only ten, there's over ten words in the Hebrew and about five words in the Greek that actually talk about this concept of hope. I mean, Fifteen different ways the writers of Scripture tried to express in their language, Hebrew and the Greek, what hope means. I, I want to just kind of condense it. I want to give you a basic biblical definition of the word hope. The word hope means a trustful expectation, particularly with reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. I mean, specifically, hope is a confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation that God will be in our future. You see, it comes from knowing and trusting the promises of God. The promises of God. Like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promises of God that say, I will be your provider. I will 
be your healer. I will be your sustainer. I we will be your helper in your time of need. The promises of God that say, I am coming back again. So we have these promises. We have this confidence in the Word of God. We have the confidence that the Word of God is true. It's a hope and what, upon which we build our lives. But what does this hope in God look like? I read this story recently about a hospital chaplain who was serving on one Christmas Eve. He tells the story. He says, at one point during the day, I was going back and forth between two families across the hall from one another. In one room was a dying child and a family utterly devoid of hope. The room was permeated by a sense of despair. No one wanted prayer. They didn't believe in that. In the room across the hall, a young man was dying. His family was gathered at his bedside in tears, but the mood was decidedly different. They were sad, but they were not without hope. We know that he's going, we, we know that he's not going to make it, one family member told me, but we know that we will see him again. The difference between hopelessness and hope was only the length of the hallway. The difference between hopelessness and hope was only the length of the hallway. And the difference between trusting God's promises and having no God at all. See, we live in a generation without hope. We live in a generation that's confused. We live in a generation that, that's wrangling with the concepts of God and faith and truth and secularization and all these kinds of things that are being bombarded in our generation. And there's a sense of despair that things aren't going to get better. Uh, they take polls all the time uh, uh, asking this generation, is it going to be better for the next generation? And an overwhelmingly, resoundingly, people say, no, it's not going to be better. There's that sense in our culture today that there really is no hope. And i got to tell you today, without Christ, without Christ being the center of a person's life, there really isn't hope for a preferred future. Last week, last couple of weeks, I read a story about a man by the name of Ted Turner. Maybe you know that name. He's the founder of CNN. He's the former owner of the Atlanta Braves. He's the second largest landowner in the United States. He's a multi-billionaire. He's given away billions of dollars. And I read his story. And it's a fascinating story. He, he said that when he was a young boy, he always wanted to be a missionary. At the age of 12, his sister contracted a rare bone disease, and she died a short time later. He said in his mind, he could not understand how could a loving God, how could a God who says that he answers prayers, allow his sisters to die? How could he allow that to happen? Because of that experience in his life, he rejected the concept that there is even a God. He's 76 years of age now, and he ha he's grappling with these issues at the end of his life of heaven and hell. He said, I used to be an agnostic. He said, I used to be an atheist. Now I'm an agnostic. I just don't know. He said, I do know. I just don't want to burn in hell forever. He said, did say that. I thought about that. I thought about the world's concept. You can have everything that the world has to offer, and you can still have no hope of a preferred future. You see, this Advent season, if we're going to keep hope alive, we must hold on to these three promises that we find in the story of Jesus. We must hold on to the promise that Jesus, or Advent, or Christmas, provides hope for our past. We must hold on to this promise, this concept, this belief, this understanding that Jesus, or Christmas season, provides hope for our present. We must hold on to this reality, this truth, that Jesus, that Jesus provides hope 
for our future. But I want to talk about Jesus providing hope for your past. I want to talk about this first concept. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 21. The Bible says, when the angel spoke to, the, to, to Joseph, he said, Your wife, or your betrothed wife, your fiance, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus entered into this world to forgive mankind of their sins. It's why Jesus came. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the evil one. Jesus said, my mission, my mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. John says it like this in 1 John 3. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. It's why Jesus came. It's why He lived on this, uh, on this earth. It's why He walked on this planet. He came to take away that which separates us from God. That brokenness. That rebellion. That sense of there is no hope. There is, there is no God. I can live life on my own. Every person in this room that's ever experienced his forgiveness from our past sins knows this, that we have a story. We all got a story. I got a story. Some of our stories are just worse than other people's stories. But the fact is, I mean, as, as far as things that we've done or places that we've, we've been or things that we've been involved in. But every person has a story. Every person that's been changed by Christ knows that Christ changed their life. Knows that they've been forgiven by his grace. You see, God's gift of Jesus is the same gift of God's hope. In this case, it brings hope for my past. For when Jesus entered into my world, He entered into, get, he entered into this life to give me a new life and a living hope. Jesus entered into this world to give us new life and a living hope. First Peter chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Everyone say new birth. He's given us new birth, a new start, a fresh start, and a living hope. It's a living hope. It's an active hope and a preferred future. Man, if you had your Bible, if you could just circle those, those words, new birth, fresh start, new beginnings, second chances. It's the message of the gospel. You see, the fact is today... I'll bet you everyone in this room has some kind of dark secret that they really don't want anyone else to know. We've made mistakes. We've had made poor choices. We, we find ourselves in a place or we found ourselves in a place where we needed a fresh start, a new way of living. See, that's the gift of God's hope that He has given to us through His Son, Jesus. See, this Christmas, God wants to give you the gift of hope for your past. God says, I understand that you've messed up. I understand that you've made some bad choices. I know that you think there is no hope for them from being forgotten, but I sent my son to make all those bad things disappear. Listen to this today. Jesus has called you to a life of hope. It's a calling of hope. Paul told the church of Ephesus, you have a greater understanding in your heart and you will know the hope to which you are called. Your hope. Hope in Christ. The hope in this life that our future is going to be better than our past. It's your destiny. It's your calling. Listen, for every believer today, these words should resound in our heart. The writer of Hebrews says, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Listen, I've always had this thought, you know, he's going to forget all my sins. Well, 
I don't know about forgetting all my sins. Because forgetting means or predisposes, predisposes that God has a weakness. Because if God can forget something, what else could he not do? I mean, if God could actually forget. See, I, I, what I believe is that God re- chooses to remember. And that's even more powerful to me. What's more powerful is that God chooses not to remember my sins. See, that predisposes that God is perfect. That he made the choice to forgive me. That's his grace. That's his love. That before I was ever born, he had me in his mind's eye. He loved me. He called me. Paul said that he predestined me. He knew me by name. He knew me by name. And it grabs me a great sense of hope today. When we realize that our past can be forgiven and all those guilty feelings can be taken away, it fills our heart full of hope. And to enjoy the hope that you have in your future, you must accept God's forgiveness for your past. So our hope today provides hope for our past. Our hope today provides hope for our past. The second thing that I want you to see is that this Advent season, that Jesus provides hope for our present. In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 22, the Bible says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is where it starts to get difficult. Because I don't know about you, I, I, I can accept and I believe, I believe that I've been forgiven in my past. I know it. I don't live under the shame. I know what shame is. I know what guilt is. I know what failure is. But I believe today that I've been forgiven. I can hold my head high today, know that I'm a born-again child of God. That when I sin, that if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. I have that confidence and I can come boldly before the throne of grace. Not because of anything that I am, but because of everything that Jesus did. I have that confidence. I can know that my past can be forgiven. Sometimes where the rubber hits the road is in your present. Really having... Hope for your present moment, for your living life today. You see, you can have hope today because the promises of God are true. The promises of God are true. The Bible says, and this is what was spoken through the prophet, the virgin will conceive. It's impossible for a virgin to get pregnant without having sexual intercourse. It can't happen. But Mary did. See, God is able to make the impossible possible for those who believe. Mary believed. You see, today, God's promises are true. Second Peter chapter 1 says it like this. No prophecy has ever come from, from what a person wanted to say, but people led by the Holy Spirit spoke by the Word of God. We have, we have confidence today. We have hope today. Because we have this book. We have this word. The Bible says that is the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe that this is God's love letter to you. You've got to believe that this is God's book for you to study, to read, to learn. Learn how to live by, to walk by. Not by the opinions of man, not by the philosophies of the day, not by the things that change like, 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 like blowing wind or like sinking sand. Cultures change. Governments change. Economic systems change. But the Word of God, it never changes. The Word of God 
never changes. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the promises of God. And the Bible says that this Jesus would be born of a virgin and He would save His people from their sins and His name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the cool thing. God isn't only with us. God is in us. You see, the prophet saw this in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. This is written 800 years before Jesus was ever born. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart, a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. I'll put my spirit in you. Paul the Apostle says it like this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Wow. Did you hear that today? You found this gift of hope. It's for your present moment. Because the God that you and I serve isn't just a God who is out there. He isn't just a God whom it may concern. The God that we serve has a name. And His name is Jesus. And when Jesus went to the cross, and when He breathed His last breath, it was all for a purpose. It was for the purpose of His Spirit coming. The resurrected power of Jesus, when He ascended into heaven, He said, I'm going to leave you this promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How could He do that he could only do it by his spirit his spirit is alive in us today that believe the resurrection power of christ it changes us it transforms us it gives us a a brighter hope and understanding for our present moment when the spirit of jesus is in you he lights up your path it's like headlights on an automobile when the holy spirit begins to illuminate your life when he begins to flow through your life you begin to see your future with a different perspective it doesn't matter what i'm walking through now it doesn't matter if i got a bad report from the doctor it doesn't matter if i just lost my job it doesn't matter if i don't have have a place to stay because I know that I know whose child I am. And if God be for me, who can be against me? It is the hope of the believer today. He's in you. His Spirit is in you. But the third promise we have is the hope we have for our future. The hope that we have for our future. The angel said to Mary, don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll call him him Jesus, and he'll be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. Eugene, don't be afraid. City Church, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your future. Don't be afraid of your future. See, really, the whole purpose of Advent in the early church, I mean, you know, 1,500, 1,800 years ago, long time ago, this whole concept of celebrating Christmas really wasn't part of the church's tradition. What Advent is, or what Christmas season was, was about, is remembering that Christ was going to come again. His promises that he was going to come again. It's really what this whole season is. We struggle because we have this truth. We have a doctrine. We have a teaching about Christ coming again. And we believe that he could come at any moment. The problem is that most of us just don't live like it. Most believers don't really live that Jesus could come at any moment. It's because when I was a kid, when I was a boy, we heard this all the time in the church. I felt like I had to 
even this morning as I was praying again, I just had to tell the people, I had to tell you that I haven't necessarily always done my job in communicating the essential, the understanding of this revelation that Christ is going to come again. It's the theme of the New Testament. The New Testament writers hundreds of times referred to this expectation that they had in their heart that Jesus is going to come again. It wasn't just that Jesus was born as a baby in a manger. That's cool and that's great because none of the rest of his life could ever be fulfilled. But the hope, the hope that they had was that Jesus was going to return again. Listen, I want you to know today, I want you to know today, although you might find yourself in a tough situation, you can have hope that your future is in God's loving hands. No matter what you're facing today, God says, I've won the victory for you and will bless you. It is a future filled with hope. See, our hope today is built upon Jesus who reigns and rules forever. He'll be great and called the Son of the Most High God. He'll be called great. He'll be the Son of the Most High God. Our future today, our future today is based in this reality. It's called our blessed hope. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says it like this. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior... Jesus Christ, we wait. There's an anticipation. There's an expectation. I don't know how this happened, but in the time of Mary and Joseph, in the time of Mary and Joseph, there had not been a preacher. There had not been a a revelation of God for 400 years. 400 years. It was dark spiritually. Can you imagine if every church door shut in America? Can you imagine if every person, radio, TV, local church, if every person in America stopped preaching the message of good news of Jesus Christ? Just just imagine. Imagine it one day. Imagine it one week. Imagine it one year, five years, ten years. Oh, for you, maybe you don't think it would be a big deal. i got to tell you, it would be a huge deal in our culture today. A huge deal in our culture. Because... The hospitals that are built, the food that is distributed, the clothing that takes place. The government can't take care of all the needs of the people. It's impossible. The government isn't big enough. They can't tax you enough money to take care of all those needs. Think of all the lives. Think of all the prisoners. I had a husband in here last night, and his wife's been in prison for several years for some mistakes that she made in her past. He said, you know, she's gone into prison. She's completely surrendered her life to Christ. And there she is in prison, and she is praying for people. He said she works in the, in the area with the chaplaincy. And she said normally, they rotate the, he said normally they rotate the prisoners every six months. And he said for the last three years, the warden has wanted her just to work with the other inmates because she's such a positive influence. You know how that happened? You know why that happened? Because Christ, the hope of glory, lives inside of her changes her life. Can you imagine if there was no prophetic word, if there was no revelation of Jesus, if there was no one proclaiming the gospel for 400 years? Can you imagine? It's exactly what it was like when Mary and Joseph heard this word from God. Can you imagine the sense? Oh, my goodness, this expectation. How can it be? How can it be? It's exactly what people say about Jesus coming again. How could it be? They've been speaking about this for 2,000 years. There's two things that tend to happen in believers' minds when we start talking about the return of Christ. First, people get confused because there's so many people with so many different opinions, and they read the Scriptures, and they read the book of Revelation about the horn monsters and the beast and things coming up out of the sea, and it seems to be confusing. Or people become fearful. 
People become fearful about the return of Christ. They start to live in fear. They want to build a hole in the ground. They want to store a bunch of canned goods, become survivalists. People start thinking about the return of Christ in a real fearful way. But that is not how the early church thought about the return of Christ. It was exactly the opposite. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself said, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of prophecy written in this scroll. The deal, the big deal, the big emphasis to the church, the big theme of Jesus coming again to you and I today is that real Christians really look forward to Christ's return because it's our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. It's what we're living for. Jesus is coming again. But He's only coming for those who are expecting and awaiting His return. That's all He's coming for. He's not coming for anyone else. He's not coming for anyone else. He's only coming for those that when the trumpet shout, when the trumpet sounds and the shout of the Lord goes up, He's only coming for those who are looking and awaiting His appearing. And that's a challenge that we have today. Because we're so busy. So many distractions. So many frustrations. So much unbelief can creep into our lives so quickly. And that's the power of this moment, of this table, of lighting the candle today. In some churches, it might just be tradition. But for us, it's more than tradition. It symbolizes hope. It symbolizes the message of Jesus is coming again and to be ready to prepare our hearts to prepare our hearts are you ready today see the fact is today that this message of hope this message of hope is for our past the fact is today that if you've never experienced the forgiveness of Christ your past can be forgiven but not only can your past be forgiven you can have hope for your present moment that he's the God who is with you He's with you in every circumstance, in every trial, and every challenge, and everything that you'll ever walk through. But he's also the hope of your future. I love what one preacher said. Your hope is so bright. Your hope is so bright, you need sunglasses to see it. That's your, that's your future in God. You might not believe that today, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Because we have this great sense of expectation that Jesus is coming again. This temporal life that we live, this earthly life we live, we're just passing through. We are citizens of another kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? You know why he hasn't come back yet? Peter says because he's not willing that anyone perish. He wants everyone to have an opportunity. Why hasn't he come back yet? God's not slow concerning his promises. God's not sending his son Jesus back. Because there's one more that needs to come. There's one more that needs to surrender. He's going to come again. He's going to come again. For some of you today, you might not know about the hope for your past. But I want you to know there is hope for your past. Your past can be forgiven. For some of you here today, maybe you're a believer, but you've lost sight of the hope for your present moment. I want you to know you've come to the right place. There's hope today. Maybe some of you are like me, gotten distracted, lost sight of the reality that Christ is going to come. It's why we end up doing things that we shouldn't do. It's why we end up saying things and going places and being involved in activities as Christians that we shouldn't because we've lost sight the reality that Christ is going to come again. He can come at any moment. 
I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to ask you this question. If Jesus was to come again this Advent season, are you really ready to meet him? If Jesus was to come again this Advent season, are you really ready to meet him? Are you? Let's sink in just a little bit. I mean, only you can answer that. This is between you and God. Are you really ready for Jesus to return again? Are you ready for your new home? Are you ready today?